0: This is Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now your host, Mark Amtower.
1: Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. Welcome to my 13th year at Federal News Radio. With my first guest of the thirteenth year, Kevin DeSanto.
0: Kevin, thanks for coming, man. Mark, thanks for having me. I hope, having me. I hope it's a, a lucky thirteen.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, but they they still let me come in. So. <laughs> so we're here, man. That's great. And uh, and special music today. This is a uh, if you're a Montgomery Gentry fan, you'll like it. But this is a T. Roy Memorial show. Um, so, Mr. DeSanto, Kipps DeSanto, KippsDeSanto dot uh, Tell tell people uh, who you are, what you do. I'm assuming most of the people out there know you.
0: Mark, we are uh, m- my firm is an investment bank that focuses on M and A transactions and uh, advising companies through these uh, uh, life altering, strategy altering um, uh, deals. And uh, we're coming up on our 13th year as well. So we're running uh, simultaneous with you, uh, a little bit behind, uh, a- as always, but uh, uh, very much looking forward to another uh, very busy year in 2019, um, helping folks think about where they should be buying, whether they should be uh, selling, or ultimately raising outside capital from uh, debt or equity providers. Uh, very dynamic marketplace, and we're excited about what we've been able to build, and build, uh, and looking forward to, a, a, again, another great year in 2019.
1: 2019. Yeah, uh, as am I. Let's let's talk about the uh, the trends from 2017 forward. What do you see? What happened?
0: We saw market activity in terms of M and A pick up uh, pretty considerably in 2017. Uh, we saw it uh, continue at a very very uh, aggressive pace in 2018, and it seems like 2019 is going to be very consistent with a. Uh, a high volume of m and transaction activity in the government contracting space in particular. Um, as you look back over the course of the past couple of years and, and into 2019, um, a couple of the driving forces, the major driving forces, has been um, a budget environment that is um, better... Than it was. Obviously, not perfect. Obviously, still some complications. Uh, we're just coming out of uh, a period with the government shutdown, and um, you know, sort of working through to a full year budget here in, in February uh, through September. Uh, but the reality is that this environment has been better than it was uh, if you look back into 2013, 14, 15, and if you go back uh, even before that uh, to having um, you know the Budget Control Act in place in 2011 and. Um, Some of this was just uh, causing some complications in the system. It was uh, eliminating uh, a long-term view. It was getting people to focus on the near-term. And when you're focused on the near-term, you're not often focused on merger and acquisition activity. But with um, some of the stability from a budget vantage point uh, in the recent years, we've seen folks return to long-term planning. And when you're looking at the capital structure and the use of capital within government contracting businesses, M&A ends up being a great tool for building value over the longer term. And uh, we've really seen folks get back into uh, a view, a long-term view, uh, being confident in this marketplace and wanting to figure out ways to build value and ultimately position themselves to grow as things move and shift here uh, over the next few years. Um, While that was all happening, we also obviously saw some improvements in the broader economy of the country. Uh, We saw capital markets continuing to increase um, really on a a, a long-term bull run. And then we um, saw the credit markets uh, in a favorable light as well, with interest rates as low as they've been and capital as plentiful as it's been. And so it was really sort of the perfect storm for both strategic buyers and and for private equity investors to, to come into the government contracting space and uh, really have a, a major impact on the deal activity these past few years. So, um, a lot of different factors uh, contributing, but a high degree of volume, a high level of volume uh, in terms of buyer and investor interest. And I would say at the same time, probably one of the more notable things that we saw in in this market was that after some of those ups and downs of, um, you know, let's use 2013 as an example, um, folks were really interested in selling. Um, so we saw a lot of um, supply, a lot of companies that were interested in finding a partner. Shareholders that have been in their businesses for 10, 15, 20 years um, that were tired or uh, businesses that were somewhat stuck and just not able to get to that next level. Um, maybe they don't have the right contract vehicles or they didn't have the right um, tools to be able to, to continue to bid and win in a more competitive environment. And then still others that uh, were uh, very uh, growing very very well that we're in a strong position and think about companies within the defense and intel community uh, where a lot of that budget um, has been flowing here over the past couple of years so there was a very strong demand and an opportunity for those types of companies to come to market uh, so it's been a very active time uh, great for us as a MA advisor and investment banker in the space and uh, um, you know really a great opportunity to build it build value or, or extract value if you're an owner of a business.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be in your neighborhood, uh, uh, twice after we record this show. There's a, uh, a Bloomberg event over there and on, uh, and, and by the time you hear this, it'll be last week, uh, tomorrow's wash tech event.
0: Mm-hmm. Over there. So, yep. uh, a lot of activity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, lot, a lot of interest in, in the MA side, but, um, recent, Trends 2019 is this continuing? Is this 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 growth surge there?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, and again, you know, we're we're reading the tea leaves here from a lot of different angles. Uh, but what I can tell you is that the conversations that we're having with um, buyers and investors in the government contracting space, there is still a very significant appetite and a strong demand for these types of transactions. And I would say that there's really two primary drivers from, from uh, again, our discussions and what we can tell. Um, the first is, as technology has evolved, there's a need for companies to modernize their capabilities. There's a need to be relevant in this day and age of technology solutions. And so we're seeing lots of companies, particularly in the middle market, look to reposition themselves by buying companies that are uh, maybe a little bit more advanced or a little bit more innovative and have been able to create a beachhead or to um, create a strategic relationship with some of the more modern technology platforms. And, And just by way of example, think about AWS or uh, Microsoft or uh, Salesforce or SailPoint, right? So think about some of these uh, businesses that have been able to come in and really have an impact on the market. And um, smaller companies tend to be a little bit more nimble and maybe a little bit earlier in those cycles. And so um, there's a there's a demand to diversify and and to modernize capabilities to stay uh, or keep pace with the technology. Um, the other uh, path is customers. This is a market where. You can't just sort of pick up and move to the left or right and and penetrate a new customer. You need to have uh, past performance. You need to have contract vehicles. You need to have certifications. You need to have um, uh, you know company level programs that allow you to compete into that customer base and the specific needs or the specific requirements for that. And so um, we oftentimes see companies want to buy into. A customer space, so smaller businesses that have created a beachhead or have this concentration within a customer that has a good, strong, visible budget and environment um, are being acquired because it's a very difficult thing to build organically from scratch for some of these mid-market or some of these larger businesses. So the customer push is a unique one, and I would add to that um, contract vehicles. And contract vehicles could cover both the capability side or the customer side. But the reality is that in this market today, with the way things have consolidated on the contract vehicle side, um, there is really a demand to be in a prime position on as many vehicles as possible to give yourself that hunting license to be able to go out and win new business, to be able to grow your business organically.
1: Yeah. Uh, right after Soup 5 was finally awarded, uh Within a month, I had a call uh, asking if I could read the tea leaves on who was going to underperform and could we buy them.
0: <laughs> That's, uh, we, we get that all the time. You sort of have the well, – you, sc- You're the one I
1: refer to. The, so. the scenario where
0: it's the haves and the have-nots after that award. And then uh, it does take time for – Um, The the competitive landscape to weed itself out and to figure out if there are opportunities to buy into the vehicle. Um, We've seen a lot of uh, situations where uh, companies have sold vehicles specifically, where they've gone in and um, just sold the vehicle as an asset. Um, Maybe it has task orders associated with it. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but we've seen that happen a lot over the course of uh, the past few years, and I would expect that that trend continues here into the future. Um, The other thing that we've seen is companies buying smaller businesses that have a contract vehicle, even if they're not overly attracted to that small business and sort of the bulk of the work, but as a way to position themselves on a vehicle that might be key to a big recompete or key to building a pipeline or expanding a pipeline in a way that's going to allow you to grow organically. Um, And I always um, sort of work With our clients and and prospective clients and just our our friends in the community to really think through what drives value in in the government contracting space. And um, in one word, it's growth. And um, the ability to show organic growth in a business, the ability to grow at or above market rates, the ability to um, show that you can help somebody increase their business profile uh, because you're good at winning, have the contract vehicles, have the capabilities and the past performance. That's really the, the best way to summarize value in the government contracting space is growth.
1: Okay, cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Kevin right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Kevin DeSanto of Kips DeSanto, Kips, K-I-P-P-S, DeSanto, D-E-S-A-N-T-O.com. And if you go to that site, there is a, a news survey that you can download it probably cost your email address, but, um, but I
0: don't it, even think we take the email address, so oh, you, you can go. just get un, it.
1: Ungated <laughs> un- content, content, uh, but it's really good. So uh, we're going to talk about that for a few minutes to what's your appetite? So. Uh, Kevin, what, what's the scope of this survey, please?
0: Well, and uh, it is ungated, uh, and there's good reason for that. So um, we went uh, back early last year, early 2018, and uh, wanted to uh, figure out a way to pull the deal makers in the aerospace defense and government contracting space. And so uh, back in the second quarter of 2018, we went through. A process of um, getting feedback directly from uh, folks that are um, either CEOs, CXOs, uh, corporate development or private equity partners, um, and really tried to take the temperature of what they were thinking about in this aerospace defense and government contracting market and, and got uh, great feedback on the initial survey. Um, And then uh, we went through and updated it in the fourth quarter of 2018. And so this is our 2019 survey that's up on the, the website now. And um, the goal was really to try to get something out after the midterm elections and advance of 2019, because we saw a lot changing in the marketplace. And um, if you look at the public company pricing in the government contracting space over the course of the fourth quarter of 2018, um, the stock prices were coming down. Uh, We were coming off the midterm elections, getting into the broader presidential cycle, as we've uh, seen here, uh, that's coming up in um, 2020. Um, And we were also um, in an environment where interest rates were starting to creep up, where the budget was obviously in a a more complicated situation given the shutdown that we saw here um, over the course of January. So we really wanted to try to take uh, the temperature again and and did it in shorter order than I think we had expected because of a lot of those moving parts. And um, the results were actually uh, very favorable, very positive. um, And and from our vantage point, they were – um, they were very uh, comforting to know that the industry and I'll talk government contracting in this survey uh, specifically given the audience here um, you know the industry generally has a very positive view towards what's coming down the pike here over the next couple of years yeah, um,
1: you got 222 responders for this too so
0: and again these are all folks that are decision makers that are are uh, in a position to to uh, help us understand what their thinking is Um At a macro level, um, three-quarters of the folks that responded indicated that they thought that there would be at least moderate economic growth in 2019. So think about some of those factors I just referenced a minute ago. We were encouraged that folks are still continuing to think that way, especially coming off of um, uh, 2018, which was a good year, which was a strong year for uh, a lot of those factors. Um, Over two-thirds of the respondents thought that M&A activity would be the same as 2018 or higher. And when I think about that stat and think about 2018, I referenced this in our first segment um, it was a very active year. There was a lot of transaction activity. I think we'll end up probably having 85 to 90 announced transactions in, from 2018, um, that were related to the government contracting space. Now that's a slightly off from 2017, where it was closer to 100, but that level of volume is um, at the higher uh, end of the range that we typically see in the government contracting space. Well,
1: that and there were some very significant deals.
0: In the there case. were there there were some some large deals, um, and then the other um, kind of factor was that the deal makers, um, eighty plus percent of those deal makers thought that they were going to do at least the same number of deals that they did in 18 or more in 19. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when you start to think about some of those factors that was really um, refreshing for us to see, and I think uh, is part of how we're looking at the marketplace with a positive eye in 2019, despite some things that are sort of up or down or sideways here. Um, One of the other, I thought, interesting um, factors in this was um, that the – The respondents basically said that the political cycle, uh, the 2018 midterm elections, had no impact on their view of the market. Whether they were going to do deals or not do deals, it was really a non-event for them. Um, I think we were somewhat surprised by that just because of the the optics of, of the election cycle and the potential impact for budget. But I, I just think that folks are really looking at this and, again, taking a long-term view of things. <coughs> and uh, I think at its heart, look to um, the defense budget as sort of a barometer for how well the market overall is doing, even though obviously that's not everything. It's sort of the bigger – piece of this and it's the easier one to watch and see. And um, I think folks continue to see that as a, uh, on a positive trajectory. And that is really driving um, folks to have a positive view of the budget overall.
1: Cool. Download it at kipsdesanto.com. Uh, It's not terribly long. It's only about 14 pages.
0: Um, There's a lot of good good stats in there and a lot of good things to think about. And I think it does give uh, a a pulse of the market, (laughs) even for the most simple of us uh, to to understand. But
1: I mean, some people want it in 30 seconds. This isn't a 30-second read. It's a quick one. But it's well worth your 10 minutes to get through this thing. Uh, and you'll probably go back to it again and again.
0: Well, and there were some things in there that I think are probably uh, not surprising to folks, and some things that, that, um, are representative of where we are today um, i think people would not be surprised to see that 90 plus percent of respondents are interested in cybersecurity and it modernization right, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> the,
1: the, the trends are there but the, one of the things that i love about these reports is you know i get a lot of feelers from the front lines and when things like this come out they either verify what i'm seeing or tell me a different way to look at what I'm seeing. Yeah. And that's important to me because I have myopia a lot of the time. So I look at all of these things from a marketing lens.
0: And M&A, mergers and acquisitions, particularly in the government contracting space, is is there is a lot of activity, but it's difficult to put your finger on the pulse of, of everything that's happening in a given time. And so one of the questions that we always get is, um, you know what's going to be the valuation environment in the sector? Are, are valuations going up? Are they stable? Are they going down? And, uh, you know, obviously the the public equity markets or the capital markets are a good way to sort of track where things might be trending or what's happening, but they don't align perfectly with how valuations are being conducted in the M&A uh, environment. And so um, one of the things that we asked in the survey were, were sort of expectations for 2019 on valuations. And um, again, over 70% of folks were positive that valuations would be the same as they were in 18 or up uh, five to fifteen percent, and so when you think about those numbers, we were coming off of strong year in eighteen. So there's still an expectation that uh, it's going to be a positive environment from a pricing uh, perspective. The flip side of that is that the private private equity groups have been a significant player in all of this. Um, their their view was a little bit more, I would say, uh, conservative or reserved for uh, valuations, and I would con- uh, attribute that to. The credit markets and the increasing interest rates and, um, you know, some of the uh, maybe changes that are occurring in the amount of money they can borrow and the leverage that they can put on these businesses. Um, You know, it's a a, a financial engineering exercise for them. And so that does have an impact.
1: Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I shall return with Kevin right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower here on my 13th year, starting year 13 at uh, Federal News Radio. Um, and believe me, the studios, we're, we're in the new studios. And, uh, and it's very different from being in a not even walk-in closet-sized thing with a small table and a couple of mics, uh, which is where I started here. Uh, 13 years ago. You guys have come
0: a long way, Mark. <laughs> uh, well, they have. I, I, I'm, I'm just lying no, You're just riding coattails. That's all right. There you go. And it works.
1: So um, I've seen private equity come into this market uh, and, and uh, either do great things or do stupid things. And I'm not going to mention names for stupid things because – Liability could occur, uh, especially with some of the language I use. But um, what, what's the role of private equity here, and uh, and and what, what are they predicating their? Uh, uh, what are they looking for?
0: The pro- the role of private equity in the government contracting space has evolved dramatically in the last ten years, and today it is a very significant part of the transactions that occur in the government contracting sector. So private equity as we see it is involved in, um, upwards of 50% of the transactions that are occurring in this space. Um, that was not always the case. Um, that is not a, um, a a trend that was, or, or a stat that was similar seven or eight years ago. This has been an increasing player in all of this. Um, Private equity firms or private equity funds are generally pools of capital that are coming together uh, via institutional investors that are looking for opportunities to invest in businesses that are privately held and to own those businesses for, call it a five-year period. And the goal is to generate significant returns on your equity investment during that period of time. So um, when you reference that you've seen some things done – I will guarantee you that every one of the moves that a private equity investor has made with these businesses has been with the best of intentions to build and grow and evolve these businesses so that they can generate the returns that are expected by their limited partners or by their investors. So when I think about what these folks have been able to do in this sector, there's one I think sort of key trend that they've identified, key way to think about this is um, when you build scale in a government contracting business, you increase the value of that business on a relative basis. So we think about things when it uh, comes to private equity investors or M&A transactions in general from a valuation vantage point. Um, in terms of multiples or EBITDA multiples. So what's the value of the business to the earnings uh, compared to the earnings of the business? And the lower multiples exist- You
1: should see his eyes when he talks about
0: EBITDA. (laughs) The (laughs) lower multiples exist for lower businesses and they go up, they increase. There's an arbitrage when you increase the size of the business. So there is a significant opportunity to create value by putting these companies together and taking- three or four $5 million EBITDA businesses and putting them together and creating a $20 or $25 million EBITDA business. You increase the size of your buyer, you increase the value that somebody's willing to pay for it, the risk gets diluted. And so there's this great opportunity to create value by merging these companies together. And that's really the strategy that most of these private equity investors believe in in this sector. Buy one business, bolt on two, three, four, five of them along the way. Certainly some of them don't work out. Um, but it's not because people are trying to push it in that direction. It's not because they're trying to fail. This is expensive capital. It is a, um, uh, you know, it, it's it just sometimes things don't go the way we intend. But for the most part, <coughs> private equity investors in this space have really had a great level of success. And in a lot of ways, they have become strategic investors. They've become strategic buyers. They've got experience that dates back over 10 years, in some cases, 15 years and thinking about the space and being investors in the space. And so uh, we've seen a lot of private equity funds get excited about it. We've seen a lot of activity in the space over the course of um, you know, the past uh, five to 10 years. And we think they're going to continue to play a major role. Um, In particular, the role that they play is around the larger businesses. So think about transactions that are north of $100 million. Um, Many of those businesses have been um, either built by private equity or are finding private equity investors because of that opportunity at scale.
1: Okay. Um, Just to clarify, the deals I was talking about are older. (laughs) So um, we're talking like –
0: Not everyone works out. I understand. I understand.
1: I I was advising a couple of companies in the dot bomb era, and I was invited to leave some of those meetings because I would focus in on particular activities when they wanted to broaden the reach of what the company was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think it would work, and I was right. Yeah, Um, yeah,
0: yeah. And that is, uh, I think, in in mergers and acquisitions – in particular, or or just in general, the risk profile of doing these deals is pretty high. Um, the ability to merge companies together to create cultural consistency, to come out of it with a brand and a strategy and leadership and governance that makes sense and works for everybody—that's a really difficult thing to do. Um, it, it it doesn't just come together cleanly. So oftentimes, when these transactions occur. There is collateral damage, or there's collateral news, or there are there's fallout from it. Um, maybe employees are leaving, or maybe leadership is transitioning. Um, but ultimately, if the organization can survive that initial upheaval, <coughs> there's oftentimes great value to be gained in the future by combining past performance or having access to new vehicles or customers. And so, in the end, it's worth it. But it's difficult, and these are very difficult transactions to get through. What most people would think about is the integration phase, that first 6 to 12 months post-transaction.
1: Right. So, I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, uh, one of the reasons to buy was certain contracts. Uh, is one of the reasons to buy certain people?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen uh, transactions occur – where the leadership team of the target, maybe it's a smaller business, it's in the $25 million revenue range being acquired by a a $400 million business where, um, the goal is to get that leadership team to come in and help them either transition into the executive leadership of the entire business or to put them in a position where they might be, um, trying to build that beachhead or that, um, concentration that we talked about earlier within a customer base or within a certain, um, maybe a geographic segment, um, which right. is, uh, you know, yeah. one of the interesting parts of this. And so absolutely leadership is critical. Um, uh, and it could be the CEO or the the founding shareholder of the business that's critical or it could be that next tier the operators the p l leads the business unit leads that are important I personally believe that in building a government contractor um, investing in talent at um, that sort of operational level and at the administrative level is, is a game changer and something that really drives significant value for uh, a business owner. Um, All too often, we see folks that um, haven't been able to build that team. And you might be able to win some work, you might be able to win some contracts, but to get that growth at scale, to be able to really energize a business, you really need a strong culture and you really need great leadership. And so, we're very firm believers in Investing in um, in in the leadership of the business and, and putting a business in a position to have um, a culture that's differentiated and unique, whether it's recruiting or whether it's being acquired by another business.
1: Well, replacing institutional knowledge and client relationships is not easy.
0: It's not easy. Um, no, and it's it's difficult to to win recruiting wars in the D.C. area. Think about the competitive dynamics and. The number of businesses and the number of opportunities that folks have. So it is, um, it's incumbent on businesses to really, really build those relationships. And um, another area that uh, probably gets underplayed is thinking about how to incentivize that leadership team to build value not just grow the sales or revenue or profit of the business. Um, having folks that are incentivized to think about the enterprise value of the business or the the, the value of the, the ownership stake in the business, that's something that can really change and impact behavior in a way um, that can be positive for everybody, uh, every stakeholder in that company.
1: Okay. So uh, you mentioned that 50% of the deals that uh, are occurring now are – private equity driven. Uh, Is is that percentage true with the deals that you guys do too?
0: It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, We completed 17 transactions in 2018 and 11 of those transactions had private equity involvement. Um, so our number was a little bit higher than the market, yeah. but um, consistent with where that trend line is, that is, uh, it's just a, it's a major, major component of it. Um, and even just within uh, walking distance of, uh, of the studio here, there's three or four uh, funds that are all based here that are all focused on aerospace defense and government contracting. And I think uh, over the course of the next five to 10 years, we'll see a half dozen, 10 more firms that really uh, hone in on this sector.
1: Okay. So no consolidation among them?
0: No, not, no those are, I don't think that's going to occur. I think they'll stay independent.
1: All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. And Kevin and I will wrap up right after this welcome back Dam tower off center on federal news radio part of the federal news network welcome to my year 13 starting here at uh, at federal news radio man time
0: flies <laughs> well i'm just honored to be here for the start well, of uh, year 13
1: well I'm, I'm i'm always happy to have you so we, we need to find other topics you know kids cars whatever
0: I, i'm all in <laughs> there all in. you go <laughs>
1: Um, so uh, we, we were talking earlier about the aerospace defense and government services 2019 m a survey you can download that at kippsdesanto.com I suggest you do so uh, add it to your reading list and and uh, digest but um, I, I want to talk about some of the uh, the bigger deals that have happened in the the recent past Um yeah, you know, we, we have several, and and I think we're going to lead with GD.
0: I think so. I think okay. that was a yeah. that was a, a market defining deal that was announced early in 2018 when General Dynamics acquired CSRA.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to preface this because uh, CSRA, about two months prior to that deal, bought Praxis. And Praxis focuses on the IC, particularly one client on my side of the river. And I spoke at a meeting of uh, small and mid CEOs about three weeks prior to CSRA buying them. And this, this is a meeting that's, number one, invite only. These people have known each other for years. Why they invited me to speak was, uh, you know, they'd never had an outside speaker. They're wise speaker.
0: beyond their years. <laughs> well,
1: they'd, they'd never had an outside speaker before, so there must have been a lot of downtime that week. But I was, I was thrilled to be there. But these are gossip sessions. They swap leads. They talk about personnel moves inside the agency. A lot of really neat stuff. And I got to stay there for the whole thing with the promise that I wouldn't share any of that information but what was cool was a couple of people from praxis were there and there was absolutely no feel in that room for that this was coming down
0: that's a good good M a deal making on on their part um you know the goal is to obviously get these deals done before word spreads or um you know the rumor starts. mill starts to work but interestingly enough in this sector the rumor mill is pretty active just because of how close we all are and um, I hear stuff. the amount of information that, uh, that exists and whether it's accurate or not, uh, oftentimes isn't the, the, the test or the barometer for, for whether it spreads. It's just much more about how interesting it is. And we're all very interested in each other from a competitive vantage point. Uh, there's a lot of teaming that gets done amongst competitors. And then obviously there's a, a lot of MA activity in the space, um, I think the gd csRA transaction really is unique on a number of fronts and is representative of of where we see the sector heading right now. The biggest rationale behind doing a deal like that is to create scale and to take a business and and uh, put yourself in a position where you've you've got a you know ten plus billion dollar portfolio of government contracting. And the scale and the economies that are available um, at that level are unique in terms of competition, in terms of pricing, in terms of the ability to manage through different cycles. Um, Whether it's defense and intel on the rise or the Fed civil market on the rise, you can sort of be relevant in all those different situations when you've got that broad business. Um, it also is an uh, extension and diversification of capability sets as well. So you're really relevant to almost every possible opportunity that you can get your hands on. Might not win it, might not be the best competitor there, but you at least open the door. And at, at that size range, you need to open the door to a pipeline of opportunities that's significant in order to grow that business organically at even 3 or 4% a year. So uh, the broadness of it, the scale of it is is really impressive. And you know, you saw another transaction occur later in the year. Um, the transaction where SAIC announced that they were acquiring Angility. another move to create a very substantial uh, public company once the two were merged together. Um, That transaction closed in January, and on the heels of that, you saw um, CACI announce a very large transaction as well, close spending close to a billion dollars on on two companies. And so each of those obviously has different reasons for occurring, but I think are representative of where this market is, scale, differentiation of capability, the ability to go after a broad set of opportunities or to broaden the horizon of what you can pursue from a pipeline vantage point. Big deals really shape the market.
1: Yeah. And Khaki was actually trying to bid on CSRA as well. And I think there was uh, one or two others. Do you remember who?
0: There were uh, there, again getting back to the rumor mill. There were lots of uh, rumors out there about yeah. uh, folks that were going after it and and may or may not have won. Um, but I think you know as we look at where that that trend is, you see this consolidation amongst the bigs. And I mean, I would I I, I would guess that at some point in time, um, you know that stops, right? Because you can't oh, keep it,
1: it consolidating. It consolidated. in the 70s and early 80s, <laughs> yeah. and it stopped.
0: And then you reverse course, and right. you might split them up uh, at some time down the road as the, the market adapts or evolves. But right now, scale is yeah, meaningful. Who would have
1: predicted Lockheed jettisoning the IT division?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we see um, a lot of folks coming in from outside the sector now that are looking at it, uh, uh, sort of this, uh, what, what folks are coining the non-traditional buyer um, you know, you've got, as I mentioned earlier, the private equity firms that are very active. But I, I would say that, that I mentioned in terms of valuation that growth is a critical factor. Um, I think just in terms of rationale today that scale is really one of the big drivers of what people are thinking about. And a lot of it has to do with just how competitive this market has become.
1: Well, I mean, when you talk about scale, are we talking bragging rights? Because GD IT slash Etc. cetera's are number one right now is on, you know, the wash tech list uh, are, are number one Are they going to stay there. It, I mean, that, that wasn't the driving factor,
0: was it? No, I don't, I personally don't believe that it has anything to do with a, a ranking or um, sort of a vanity of, of being a larger business in the space. I just think that the economies of scale are so significant and the ability to, um be relevant irrespective of the market backdrop has become very important um you know th- being able to predict where the budget is heading or how things are going to fall out two three years down the road i think that is a it's a challenging thing to do it is not um it, 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 there's so many moving parts to it and so much that could change uh based on politics or or economic backdrop and um to be positioned to to deal with whatever it is that does occur is is really what the thought process is. And then I would just add to it that um, you know we come out of an environment where low price technically acceptable was something that became prolific in the market. And that changed the way a lot of people bid. It changed the way a lot of people think about their businesses. And the need to be more competitive in terms of pricing is a major driver of your success on your pipeline and your prosecution of that pipeline. And so- With scale, and it could be at 10 million, it could be at 100 million, it could be at 500 million. It it, scale in those markets or at those levels provides you with the ability to be more efficient, more effective, and put us put your win rate higher and drive growth, which is that major valuation factor that uh, that I referenced earlier. Cool. Uh,
1: Final thoughts, predictions.
0: Yeah, I am not allowed to predict, Uh, (laughs) but we do anticipate that, uh, you know, the activity levels uh, remain strong and uh, are optimistic that uh, 2019 is another uh, great year for M&A activity in the government contracting space and uh, uh, optimistic that I'll be back here as the first guest in your 14th year and talking about 2020.
1: There you go. Like that. Um, All right, man. Uh, thanks for coming in. Again, you can find the uh, Aerospace Defense and Government Services M 2019 MA survey at kippsdesanto.com. Uh, this is not my day job. I still advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, particularly in three areas now: uh, social selling, i.e. LinkedIn, uh, content marketing, and building a subject matter expert platform. And that has to play somewhere that's me status uh, for smaller companies in particular. If you own intellectual property and are recognized for same, you are more attractive to buyers and to the buying audience.
0: Agreed, brand awareness, identity.
1: And uh, with that, thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center.
0: You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.